Welcome to the Humanity Leadership Podcast. My name is David Wheatley. We're here to talk leadership in small, bite-sized and practical chunks. Enjoy. Well, welcome to episode 76 of the Humanity Leadership Podcast. Uh, I'll be uh, handing over hosting duties shortly, but uh, this week we're talking to uh, Judy Brown and Joan Hampeter, and our guest host, uh, a colleague of mine, uh, Nikki Patterson, who's going to be hosting this episode because we're talking about women, uh, kind of the framing of what's important to working women now, new frontiers and the changing landscape. And this is a great conversation where our friends talk about uh, being yourself, the challenges of the last two years and how that's amplified the challenges of being a female leader, uh, balancing raising children with uh, staying in the workplace, how to seek out mentors and find people who see things in you that you don't and open doors for you. And then how to pay attention to ourselves, taking the material of our own lives seriously. Well, welcome to the Humanity Leadership Podcast, and we've got a very special edition uh, this time where I'm actually going to hand over some of the hosting duties uh, because it's not really my conversation to be having, I don't think. But, but let me introduce you to some guests today. Uh, first one that's been a bit of a regular recently, Ju- Judy Brown. Uh, Judy is an educator, speaker, facilitator, poet, and writer, uh, and her work in organizations revolves around the themes of leadership, change, learning, dialogue, and creativity. So PhD from Michigan State, go green. Uh, She served as a White House fellow, special assistant to the U.S. Secretary of Labor, chief financial officer and assistant dean to the direct and director of executive programs at the College of Business and Management at the University of Maryland and the vice president for seminars and cooperative programs at the Aspen Institute. The list goes on. Uh, Judy, I could read the client list from Ford, Canon, United Way, uh, CIA. Midwesterner from a small fish, fishing village in Michigan. Uh, lots of books, many of which we've quoted on previous episodes of this before. Uh, so welcome back, Judy. That's the first time I've read your bio, I think, but uh, it feels appropriate for this one. Uh, we're also joined with another Michigander, uh, Joan Hampeter. And Joan founded the Leadership Group because she believes that effective leadership is a key factor in driving organizational success. She knows that every leader can benefit from honest feedback, increased self-awareness, and positive coaching. So Joan has coached numerous executives and managers as they've enhanced their leadership abilities. She's over 30 years of experience in management and human resources, and her areas of speciality include organizational strategy, leadership development, and executive coaching. So in addition to corporate and entrepreneurial experience, Joan has established a record of community, faith-based, and nonprofit board and foundational service and leadership. And uh, she served a bunch of nonprofits, including the, the, we've got a Girl Scout connection there between the two of you. And then my co-host for today is uh, Nikki Patterson, who is a leadership coach, organizational effectiveness consultant based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, a graduate of Albion College and Bowling Green State University. She spent 11 years at Google in various roles, latterly as an OD specialist and leadership coach. She's a colleague of the Humanity team, I'm proud to say and a contract coach for the Center for Creative Leadership, and her focus is on mid-career women leaders. She's also about to give birth, and I mean very literally possibly about to give birth. We could be breaking things during this show um, to her second child, and so she's based in Ann Arbor. And and I'm going to hand over now to Nikki, who's got our topic for the day, and and I'm going to shut up. 
Thank you so much, David. Thank you for the opportunity to have this amazing conversation, Judy and Joan, with you both. I'm really excited to be here today. I guess I'll just kick us off. I know the, the main question that we're looking at today is what is important to working women today? So with the depth and breadth of experience that you both have, I'll open the floor with that question. Where do you want to start us? So Joan, shall I lead off a bit? Let me take a first shot at it. I think when Joan and I were talking about what fun it would be to have this conversation, one of the things that really stood out for us is that there is no single path. Um, there's no perfect starting point. <laughs> there's no uh, guaranteed set of next steps that go in a particular direction. And, um, and there's no perfect path. So much of it has to do with who we are as individuals, I think, and the extent to which we are able to trace a path that is genuinely and uniquely our own, uh, suited to the context, suited to our gifts, um, and to cut ourselves some slack if it doesn't look like everybody else's path or the, the path they told us should we should take or we would take. So that would be my beginning set of thoughts about that that I'd want to offer. I think part of it is this notion of encouraging people to trust their own experience, which is another way of saying trust your gut and bring the best that you have to whatever the situation is. It's the, the phrase of, you know, offer them your best thinking. What else do you think you have? Um, so um, just uh, being willing to be uh, completely yourself and, um, and offer your best in every situation. So I think that's my lead off. Joan, what, what would you want to say? Well, I think we're in particularly challenging times for women right now. Uh, I, the last two years since 2019, since we've been coping with the pandemic, has challenged women in a way that they have never been challenged before. Uh, as I look back on my career over, uh, over 40 years, it's been a steady progress of women expanding their education opportunities, expanding the work opportunities, expanding their positions in business and industry and nonprofits. All of a sudden, we're in a very different time situation now. Uh, the past two years have kind of upset the workplace for everybody. Uh, in September uh, 2021, the Wall Street Journal published an whole section called Women in the Workplace, and it's uh, strictly about what's happening today to women and how are they being challenged, particularly uh, those who have responsibilities at home, whether it's with young children or in some cases, and I'm hearing this more and more, uh, and this is right up Judy's alley, uh, with elder parents who need attention. And during the pandemic, young women did not have access to the level of child care that they'd had before, which allowed them, had allowed them to participate fully, just like Nikki probably, in the workplace. If they didn't have family, many of them elected to resign from their positions. 
there was amazing resignation taking place. Uh, so we've seen, uh, and, and we've probably read about it, the number of women today who are looking for jobs where they can work fully from home is amazing. And that's part of this great resignation that we're seeing, particularly for those women working in corporate knowledge level positions. And for those women working in hands-on positions like the hospitality industry, for example, they have been forced uh, because they lost their jobs into thinking about different career paths. Uh, and even those working in factories and so on at, the, at that very level, first level of supervision. So this is a very tumultuous time for women in, in the workplace. And I think a great, great challenge. I think it's a particularly great challenge for employers uh, because that uh, the things that were incentives to women before may no longer be the sa same incentives. Uh, women have found out that not having to go into the office every day, you don't have to spend the time in commuting. You don't have to spend money on parking. You don't have to buy business clothes. I mean, I kind of at one point had a set of three different sets of wardrobe, depending on whether I was working, staying at home or exercising. <laughs> uh, so those have been all new paths for women that have taken them to very different areas. Uh, and it's a great challenge for employers. How are they going to bring women back to the office? Are they going to be bringing, bringing them back full time, part time or not at all? So interesting. And thank you both for sharing that. Joan, I, th I think to build on what you, you mentioned is the challenge of the past two years, I think it's also an interesting opportunity because it is now visible, all of the additional burden that women have been just taking on kind of invisibly for years and years and years, because suddenly when childcare wasn't available, they were the only ones able to do it. And oh, there's, there's the gap here. Um, the, the clear childcare challenges, the childcare is really expensive. The, the gap in um, maternity leave of the United States versus any other developed country. If you look at the, the breastfeeding versus formula challenges right now, where it's, it is um, very privileged women that are able to even breastfeed. There's been recent research that it takes about 1800 hours in a given year versus 1950 or something for a full-time 40 hour a week job. So you're doing these kind of multiple jobs. So I think there's an interesting opportunity because it is more visible and finally part of the conversation. But to your point, Joan, what will happen? We're, we're, we're talking about it, but when the light, when world starts to go back to normal, will things change? What will the role that women have in this post-pandemic world? Okay. I think the underlying message that's coming through, both for men and women, not, not exclusively women, mm -hmm. is that in the workplace, people want a greater degree of flexibility. Mm -hmm. uh, that is the key. Uh, they, they recognize that there is value, and this varies between business and industry, but there is value in being in the office. I don't think that anyone can deny that. Uh, somehow people have to be together as people. 
but there is also the greater need for flexibility and uh, time at home, that there is value to that time. There's even value to being able to work without interruption, as you can at home sometimes. Not always if you have children, <laughs> but uh, you, sometimes you can get more work done productively at home than you can in the office, depending upon your position. You know, there's an, another piece of this, though, that strikes me that um, I don't know if it's the impact of the pandemic or just um, experience, mm -hmm. uh, but as women have found that their access to uh, higher level positions is greater than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. One of the questions that comes to mind after you break through the glass ceiling is, do you like it up here? Is this a place you want to spend your life? Are you willing to barter what you have to barter to, uh, to make your way at these levels of leadership. And when I was coming along, I just wrote on this sheet of paper that I have, I wrote the word up and I put a circle around it like a European traffic circle and put a line through it. When I was coming along, if you had the opportunity to move up, no matter what, you took it. You owed it to yourself. You owed it to your mother who never got to do it. You owed it to the next generations of women. How could you possibly say, no, I don't think so, to up? And I think that may be changing for women. I would hope it might also change for men. But I think particularly for women, this sense that um, whatever the dynamic is of the next level of achievement, it may be time to have a sobering talk with yourself about that. Is that the right thing for you at this stage of your life? Is it the right thing for your family, for your friends? Um, is it who you are or are you simply peddling because some, some lesson got embedded in you decades ago that said, if it shows up and they offer it, take it and, um, and, and stay with it. Um, and I think that change in terms of mental health mm -hmm. and a whole variety of things is really important. I think that's very interesting, Judy, too, because I was just looking at some data that showed in 2021, a larger percentage of women went into their own business than men did. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's another part of the great resignation and the women wanting more flexibility. Uh, sometimes yes and sometimes no, being in your own business can give you greater flexibility. Sometimes it is more hours than you work when you're working for somebody else. But it's the fact that uh, we have a whole new group of entrepreneurs, women who want to strike out on their own as an alternative path. Uh, to, to the usual upward career ladder. Well, and so I think what that would say, and particularly Jones, the great entrepreneur among us, I've had a kind of sidetrack of entrepreneurial work since early days at Michigan State in leadership development. But I think what we would want to say to young women is uh, pay attention to that dimension of yourself that feels drawn to something you might want to create that would be completely your own. 
and think about um, how you want to give space to it. Uh, think about the trade-offs between what we call the stability of a job with an organization and creating your own path. Think about what Joan said, which is then you've got this boss that is driving you mercilessly and it's yourself. Um, so, I mean, there are all kinds of different pieces of this, but when, uh, you know, this was back in the day stories, back in the day, when I went independent with my practice at some point in sort of midlife, I was walking with my dad into the little village of Leland. And he said to me, bless his heart, he was so supportive. He said, when are you going to get a real job? <laughs> and he was really supportive. I mean, he was a lovely man. And the question was, from his perspective in that generation, it was a perfectly logical question. And uh, I think it's not the logical question anymore. I love that question. I think, Judy, I think that's wonderful because I have the same experience in a different way. Is uh, My father was always the one in the family that was very supportive of me, uh, particularly at a time when there weren't a lot of opportunities for women that there are today. And saying to me, you don't have to be a teacher. We had a lot of teachers in our family. You don't have to be a nurse. You don't have to be a secretary. You can be something else. You can be in, in business. You can strike out on, on your own in some way. And, and thinking about it and thinking about this program, the opportunities I've had, the real opportunities have come because some man had confidence in me. Some man opened a door for me. Uh, so I am not an advocate of uh, some women who are very critical of men and men in business. Uh, I've not had that personal experience. Quite the opposite. So I said I was going to shut up, but I managed to do it for 17 minutes before I... I <laughs> Outstanding. But, but, I, but I think that's a that's a really great ob observation there. And I'd be interested to look across the generations as well, though, because um, to a great extent, you valued male allies. Uh, mm. Are women still women's biggest obstacle to leadership? David, I, when I come in and, and you say the word ally, and I say yes, and, but more so sponsorship in stepping in, in those rooms that males still are in. I mean, I worked in Silicon Valley for a long time where there's just not a lot of women in certain rooms, but the role that a sponsor can play in bringing people into the conversation and bringing people into different projects is still incredibly important. And I've had colleagues that have said they won't do women conferences anymore where they're just women to talking to women because we're not at an equal playing field. So we still need allies and sponsors to help take those steps forward. Be my initial reaction, Judy and Joan, what are, what are your thoughts there? Well, you know, I was just realizing that um, sponsor is a wonderful word for this. I mean, the things that come to us out of the blue because a male colleague sees something in us that we didn't necessarily see in ourselves or for ourselves. And mm -hmm. my ultimate example of that is Bob Gluckstern, who headed the University of Maryland campus for reasons at the time were not at all clear to me, uh, nominated me for the White House Fellows Program. 
And I thought, well, I'll never get this, but they had a great application and I was feeling stuck in my job. And if I filled out the application, I'd know what I wanted to do next. So I filled out the application and, and I ended up getting selected for it. And that's what put me into the Department of Labor as assistant to the Secretary of Labor. I never would have ended up there if it hadn't been for the fact that for some reason, Bob having worked with me on the issues related to um, equity for women in athletics, which is the thing I'd been involved in at the University of Maryland, he, he saw something that I didn't see. Um, and and his, his, um, his generosity in that um, made all the difference. But then I'd like to take that part of the conversation and say that as uh, women who have a track record of experience, which the three of us on this screen have, we can play incredibly important roles doing that specifically ourselves for other women mm -hmm. um, in really explicit ways, um, uh, valuing mentorship. Uh, I told Joan, Joan and I have known each other for what, now about a year, I think. A colleague who we treasure thought we should meet. So Joan came to my family home in Leland, Michigan and sat on the front porch with me. And on that day, I decided I was adopting her as my mentor. That's it. She had no choice whatsoever. And so I think holding that kind of notion that um, we look for opportunities to mentor and we look for mentors. And there's a reciprocity in that uh, for that kind of sponsorship. I think that's really life-giving to everybody who's caught up in it, I think is probably the language I would use, uh, caught up in it. So I think those are, very, those are very wise words, Judy, about the importance of mentorship. Uh, I have four granddaughters, one still in college, but the other three are just now in their 20s, beginning their careers. And they're in three very different fields. One, one is in automotive, working for one of the big three. Uh, another is a nurse in healthcare and very much in demand these days because nurses are very much in demand. And she's just moved back from Michigan, having been in North Carolina for a year at a uh, medical center. And then the fourth one, who is a biomedical engineer. And all three of them, I have tried to encourage them to seek out other women, particularly to be mentors and to build that network of friendships. Even if they don't stay in that same organization, you hang on to those relationships all the time. I think that would be the greatest advice that I could give to any young woman. Uh, going back to something we were saying before, uh, I'm, I'm a great advocate for diversity in the workplace. Uh, and I think that while I recognize through circumstances, when I first started my career, I was with AT&T, which at that time was the world's largest employer of women. Uh, and so I've worked with a large group of women, but I think really the most effective organization is where there are gender diversity, where men and women are working together, particularly in, in the knowledge, sharing ideas and things. Uh, women, and this is a generalization, which may be unfair, but I think as a generalization, women look at 
issues differently than men do. Uh, women, we know, are sometimes better managers because they are more empathetic uh, than men tend to be. But sometimes that empathy carried to an extreme uh, prevents them from seeing the big picture. And sometimes men are able to think more strategically because they aren't caught up in the emotions so much. Mm. So uh, I think a workplace that is as varied as possible can offer the best results, the most positive outcomes. And the best experience for all the players. Right. Best yeah. As we've talked about men, while well, well, we think women can be good mentors, in our experience as older women, it's been the men who have been our, our mentors. And we've known that old story about men who have resisted women in business until their own daughters came along. <laughs> and that changed the workplace landscape tremendously. Uh, I mean, I saw it happen back in the 1980s. Uh, you know, they didn't think women had a place in business until they had a daughter. <laughs> changed their perspective a little bit, right? It sure does. Yeah. I'd love to explore yeah, that mentor piece. You know, having children uh, changes your perspective in the workplace. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> and I think that's still going back to some of our initial issues that we talked about. That whole issue of child care and motherhood and advancing in opportunities is remains maybe not so much, but certainly remains as a challenge uh, to women moving up in the organization. You know, it's still, no matter what organization you're in, uh, when you think about promoting a young married woman, you always have, whether it's articulated or not, that question in your mind, is she going to have children and what impact will have will that have? Unconscious mommy tracking. Yeah. Right, right. Well, some women choose to drop out of the workplace entirely for a period of time. That's right, because I think we said when we were talking, Joan, that you dropped out for a while. I sailed wow. through you, having missed about half the pregnancy and having been in the middle of a business school that had no idea what to do with a pregnant dean. And I just kept barging along, kept going, uh, and it sorted itself out, but very different paths. And and daughters who have been done extraordinarily well, whatever that path, whatever that path, so. Well, uh, that, that's another bit of advice that I would give to a young woman that, who, that does make the decision to drop out of the workplace. Uh, in order, to, in order to be a young mother and stay in the workplace, if you're married, you have to have a very supportive husband. Uh, because if you have a husband who has a job that is extremely demanding, it's very hard to raise children in, in that situation to have the time that you need to devote to your, your job. Uh, it's, it's just extremely difficult. But I think for women who do decide to drop out, uh, because I dropped out for over 15 years. And mm -hmm. what I did, uh, and I did this on purpose, I became very involved in my community. 
And as that involvement, I had the opportunity to take on some leadership roles that I would never have had the opportunity to do uh, if I had been working full time. I, I served on my community's uh, school board for 15 years. And in that mm -hmm. time, I was involved in hiring four different superintendents. Uh, I, I went through some financial crisis and I learned about managing finances from the top that I would never at that age have had an opportunity to learn someplace else. Uh, I learned a lot about public relations. I learned an amazing amount about working productively with unions. All mm -hmm. of those things I never would have done if I hadn't at the time. Now, I could, again, I couldn't have done that if I didn't have a husband who was supporting her family. So that, again, is, is something that not every women have the opportunity to do. So if I hear you there, Jonah, advice of it, there's not a wrong way. I think there's a lot of judgment right now between a stay-at-home mom or a working mom and and there's so many blurred lines between what that actually means, right? So there's there's not a right way or a wrong way. It's all continuing to move forward with your career and learning and taking new opportunities and figuring out what is the right choice for your family. Correct. That's such a great point. Well, and these days, up until the time of the pandemic, there are so many childcare uh, opportunities and people in that field that weren't available years ago. So I remember now, when I had our, our, our first child, I had quit corporate, which had given me five months paid maternity. I lived, worked there for 11 years. One month after I left, I got pregnant. Great timing. Mm -hmm. But my partner had four month paid maternity. And I remember I used to think for fairness, males should have as much time off. It was important for fairness. Now I know that it is for the sanity of the family. I would not have been an okay human if my husband would have gone back to work three days after I had the baby. <laughs> so it's just really interesting how experiencing some of that can change your perspective on <laughs> the importance of, of those policies and childcare and involvement and families looking different ways. <laughs> oh, that's, that's really interesting, Nikki. Because uh, during those years, child-raising years, paternity leave, paid paternity leave was, was unknown. Yeah. My, my husband's a lawyer. He was a partner in a law firm. He went back to work two days after I came home from the hospital. I mean, because he was basically self-employed. I mean, we wouldn't have been able to eat. <laughs> wow. Interesting. <laughs> it's all how, we, how we adapt and cope and make transitions. It and learn is. our way through it and learn our way through it somehow collectively. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. That piece I'd love to take us back to. You both had mentioned a bit of, of paying attention to what, when it's, you know, self-employment or these, these pieces that feel right to you or that don't feel right to you. One of the pieces I find often is that women have a hard time differentiating what I really want versus what everyone else says I should want. Right. One of the pieces you mentioned at the very beginning, Judy, for women that are starting to struggle through that, they're stuck on the treadmill of what I'm supposed to do. 
what advice or insights would you give them on, on how to start listening to their own voice and what that sounds like? Wow. Um, I'd have a couple of pieces that come out both of my own experience and what I suggest to women leaders. One is pay attention to what has real energy for you. Mm -hmm. Really draws your attention. And I would, and this quote, our colleague, Rick Eigenblad, who says, and when that happens, notice your tendency to find some kind of murder weapon to silence it. Because when we feel that kind of energy, it also, it's excitement and it carries fear with it because it's got implications for changing things in our lives. And so the, just the awareness of the, the energy that draws us towards something doesn't mean we have to throw everything else in a cocked hat, but just paying attention to it. And then I'd add to that, um, I have had for, I guess, about 40 years, maybe 50 years now, a morning half hour journal practice. I get up every morning mm -hmm. and I sit down with my journal and I look out at the creek where I am now and I notice, I, I take note of specific details. So I am pra I'm processing details of what is. I do what's called an after action review on yesterday, which is I go back and look at it for the learning that it could offer me if I spent some time with it, because you have to spend some time with it to learn from it. And then the third thing I do is a set of three um, intentions I hold for the day. And they are three things that the world could never take away from me. So it's things mm -hmm. like, have at least one wonderful conversation, which you guys are all treating me to right now. Uh, realize the people who have brought out the best in you and appreciate them. Maybe one other thing, it's different every morning, but it's, it sets the, um, it's like setting the rudder on a boat. It sends things in a certain direction. And that journal practice, I think is what has made it possible for me coming out of a culture in which a woman is really oriented to what everybody else wants. It's really helped me learn and attune to what is true, what, what the inner teacher, whatever term we want to use for that, has to say to me about what it means to be me today. Judy, I think that's wonderful. I, I, I wish I would had that practice. I wish I'd known you years ago. <laughs> well, it's actually, it came to me from a um, fellow who was a depth psychologist. His name was Ira Progoff. And while he believed in the power of therapy, he also believed that each of us has the potential for making complete sense of our own lives. If we will take, and this would be his language, the material of our own life seriously. And so the power of the journal is it, it lays out in front of us the material of our own life in a way that is very different than having it going around like a bunch of gnats and fireflies in our head going, nye, 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 which is the way the material has a tendency to speak to us. Um, there's something very powerful about that kind of writing activity. Um, and I'll add one postscript to it that the research on writing about something that's very difficult, when they put kids at the University of Texas into groups to do that, 
they found that the kids who were assigned that as opposed to just write anything or have tea and cookies, which were the other two treatments, the ones who wrote about something really difficult had 30% lower use of the health center for the entire academic year. And they replicated it year after year. They just stayed healthier. Yeah, it's, it's the of... beauty of having these wise women around us, because my answer was just going to be to quote the famous British philosophers and say, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. And that was it. So <laughs> so I'm, I'm pleased you came up with these. Uh, answers. <laughs> Terrific. <laughs> That's another way to figure it out. If I had the opportunity to meet with young women. Uh, I, I'm not as philosophical as Judy. I'm afraid I'm much more practical. I would say two things. One, when you're starting your career, be as helpful to other people as you possibly can. Even when you're asked to do what you consider menial tasks, uh, often you figure, well, they're asking me to do something I didn't go to college to have to deliver this paper two miles mm. down the road or something. But the attitude and the spirit in which you do that is remembered by that person, even though what you're doing may not be appropriate to your particular uh, interests and skills. Secondly, mm. I, secondly, I'd say value and don't discount the older people that you run into. Uh, I think there's such a tendency when you're young to want to be with younger people, and that's natural. I did it too. But in organizations, uh, and Nikki, you work for Google, which is a very young organization, uh, uh, there's so much tendency to gravitate to people your own age, but you can learn so much from the experience of older people. And nine out of 10 people love to give advice. Uh, you, you don't have to always take the advice, but you will find some really worthwhile nuggets if you ask older people to help mm. you or to give it advice. Uh, right. Or even ask for feedback. And uh, how am I doing? Uh, what do I need to know? How would you approach this? Or even ask, uh, tell me about the path that brought you to this particular uh, work that you do. Excellent. Um, because that often, it, it's, that's a relaxing activity for the listener. You think, oh, good heavens, they've been all over the map too. Or, um, oh, there are many more ways to get here than I thought. Or that person has a particular experience that I now want to learn more about because I think it helped me with my work. So mm -hmm. just the curiosity about uh, path um, is, I just think is, it has a huge um, energizing power in a work dialogue. Uh, and you never know what you're gonna find. You just right. never know. Uh, I asked a group of leaders from one community to do this one time. They said, we don't need to go through this. We know each other really well. So I said, well, 
humor me. Let's just go through it once. I just want you to hear from each other about the stepping stones that got you to where you are. About halfway through this, one is yelling at the other. You were in the army too? I didn't know that. <laughs> no, you did this? You're kidding. I didn't know that. <laughs> they didn't know much about each other at all. Uh, and a lot of the things that were really important bonds for them that created a sense of team were mm. unknown to them. Um, so be willing to have those kinds of conversations that seem like they're totally off topic, you know, unpredictive conversations are vastly underrated. <laughs> That's a good quote. <laughs> you need to follow up with that one. <laughs> Those are, those are excellent, excellent insights. This conversation, as David warned us, went so very quickly. Any, any final addition, any final insights or learnings on the, um, the amazing experiences and life paths that you both have walked through that you would leave to the women leaders of today? I'd offer one that's on my refrigerator because it was a quote uh, actually from our colleague Rick, who said, we're never done. We're just never, ever done. And there's something in that framing, both in how we hold our own gifts and offer them, but also how we see each other, that I think has a spark of uh, energy and uh, inspiration that's helpful. So that would be my final postscript. Joan? What do you think? I don't know, but I think that there's uh, power in being together with other people. And what, again, this goes back to the challenge that we talked about of the isolation over the pandemic, uh, but sharing with colleagues and uh, there's, there's a great danger, I think, now in the strong movement to work into remotely mm. from home entirely uh, and and that can cut you off from uh, not only the wisdom of other people but just the, the feeling that you're not alone mm. you're, you're never alone in this world you can find somebody else and so i think there's so much but i want young people young women in particular to know there's so much opportunity now uh, and, and you appreciate that where you are, you've stood on the shoulders, so to speak, of other women who've struggled to get to that place. Um, and and now, now, now there are no barriers to go to get any kind of education. When I first wanted to explore getting an MBA, I was told, by the admissions officers, we don't have women in, MBA, in this MBA program. Uh, it's hard to believe that now. <laughs> right. I think women are finding are starting to surpass men in MBAs these days. Right. There, there, today, there are more women in law school than there are men. Mm. Uh, I think there's an equal number of women in medical schools almost. Uh, so women are doing amazing things, and there aren't, and the barriers have been removed. I hope that women understand that uh, women have struggled over the years to get to be seen as equal. And there are still times when you can be in meetings and women can present an idea and it isn't 
recognized until some man says the same idea. Uh, so there are still areas that we need to keep chipping away at pleasantly. <laughs> pleasantly. <laughs> so if there are two sentences, it's these two things together. Uh, realize that you're never alone and you're never done. Judy and Joan, thank you both so much for your time today, for sharing your insights and your learnings. It's been an amazing conversation. I think we could continue it for hours, but for the sake of <laughs> those listening, we won't. But thank you again for your time and for um, just sharing with us this afternoon. Thank you, Nikki, for the great, great questions and your presence. So what a great chat. And thank you again to our guest host, Nikki Patterson. Uh, she was doing that all well, 38 weeks pregnant and full of cold. And I managed to convince her to, to come in anyway, because I, I tempted her with the, it would be a juicy and rich conversation. And she's already lining up for when can the next one be, uh, but not until September once she gets some things taken care of there. Uh, and uh, good luck to her with the new one, the baby, and also good luck to Judy, who's about to become a grandma. So uh, put them in their thoughts. And thanks for the wisdom of Joan and Judy. And uh, thanks for Nikki hosting and uh, putting up with my occasional interruptions. We'll see you next time. That was the Humanity Leadership Podcast. My name's David Wheatley. For further information about Humanity, go to humanity.com or check out our latest book, What Great Teams Do Great, from all good bookstores. Have a good one. Stay healthy. Thank you.